Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. How's it going, Tom? It's going good. How about you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, just uh, taking a few days off here as we were just talking about before we hit record and trying to recharge the batteries a bit. But yeah, everything's going well. I'm sure we're not alone. Recharging the batteries. And uh, this is the time of year where everyone starts making lists for uh, either it's New Year's resolutions or the goals or the plans and all that stuff. Here we are. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's kind of ties into our episode today. I thought it would make sense to take a little bit of a broader, bigger picture view of productivity. I think that productivity is one of those issues that, um, you know, there's all kinds of, you see all these hacks and tricks and tips, and it's like, is there really a, a systematic way to think about this? Or is it just you know, you hear something, you try to implement it. Uh, it may not be dis- it may be disconnected from something else you're trying to do. Um, so I thought, you know, just trying to share a few frameworks and or call them systems uh, would be a helpful way to um, allow people to start the new year, perhaps feeling a little more squared away. And um, I, I just think that for many people, you know, by the time the the year ends. Um, you know, oftentimes things have just fallen apart a bit, right? It's been busy, and people, especially like corporate lawyers trying to close deals before year end or tax lawyers or whatever, whatever, for whatever practice, the year end is significant. It's like this sprint and whatever good intention systems, processes you had in place may have been um, falling apart a bit. And it's a good time to reset and rethink about getting on track for the new year. So does that make sense, Tom? Yeah, I would just uh, add, you know, there's this always this mad scramble at the end of the year. And like you, to your point, like the systems and the order break down into chaos. And then there's this exhale moment that you and I are kind of talking about right now, which is, like, whew, I got through all that. And then there becomes this anxiety moment right after the first where you're like, oh, my God, all that stuff's about to kick right back in again. And I'm not ready for it. So I think this is timely. This was your idea because I think people can take this moment to put some system into some structure into their calendar right away, the first of the year, and then hopefully that alleviate some of that anxiety and actually control it. Yeah, and so yeah, that 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 makes perfect sense. And I think it's one of those situations. I, as you know, uh, but our listeners don't. I I propose titling this episode "Confront Your Productivity Demons," um, and I think that's the way. You know, I I sometimes feel about these things, right? It's like anything that maybe you're avoiding because it seems like a big, a big heavy lift, and it seems you know like it's going to be difficult to get into, and you don't maybe quite know what to do. Um, that's that's how we feel anytime we feel a little bit out of control, right? We're, you know, you're not sure you got a, a good handle on everything that's on your plate. You don't know where to put it. You know, you're trying to juggle everything in your head. That's what we want to get away from. Um, that's the productivity demon, and I think that's where um, these systems come in. And so I, I've actually been doing this myself over the course of the last week. Uh, I, I definitely was describing myself when I was talking about systems falling apart. Um, so I've been trying to rebuild them over the last week. So I'll talk a little bit about the things I've been doing in the context of um, you know this discussion and. And let's get into it uh, as opposed to setting it up endlessly here. So what I think is a good starting point, Tom, is just talking about a few overarching principles here, which is 
for any productivity system. Um, and the first one I think about is a, a process that lets you get information out of your head into systems. So that's what it, what I was kind of alluding to there. Whereas when when thing everything feels like it's in your head and not part of a structured system. So you're all the to dos you have to do. You have a bunch of you know open emails you have to process, um, various upcoming deadlines and tasks, and you got to get that information out of your head and into systems so that frankly you can sleep well at night. Right? I mean, a busy lawyer who's trying to keep things in their head and not getting them down into reliable systems is going to have a hard time you know, sleeping restfully through the night when um, they're not sure if they've got everything handled. So um, that's just one principle is like what we're trying to do is whenever inputs come in, you know, a new task, a new project, a new deadline, whatever the case might be, that in an ideal world is getting immediately out of your head and into a system that you can then be confident that you can come back to it and, and it'll allow you to be on top of that task. So that's number one. Number two is a system that allows you to avoid context switching as much as possible. So context switching is, uh, it's not multitasking in the sense that you're trying to do two things at once. Um, it's that you are uh, continually bouncing from task to task in a way that doesn't allow you to bring any deep sustained focus to any one task. So there's a bunch of research out there about the price of context switching, cognitive price of context switching. Uh, Sophie Leroy is an academic who studies this a lot. She found that you know on average, uh, if we move from one task to another, so for example, writing a brief to checking social media or jumping into email and starting to respond to messages, it takes on average 24, 23 or 24 minutes to get back on the original task after you switched, switched off it. And so you can see the toll that takes over the course of the day if you're constantly switching from one thing to another. So a good system avoids context switching. And then third uh, principle would be making sure that whatever system you develop makes time for important, but not necessarily urgent priorities. So we talk about this a lot, wrote an entire book about it called The Productivity Pivot, where um, if you, you can easily fill your day with lots of to-do items um, that don't really move the needle for you. And, and that might mean learning new skills, engaging in business development, um, you know, developing leadership uh, skills or, or exhibiting leadership by serving on a committee within your law firm, whatever the case might be. Um, it could just be spending all day in your inbox and you're billing hours in the process, but are you just being simply efficient or are you being effective at the same time? So, so those are the three core principles. I'll stop there, Tom, let you react to that, but um, just wanted to kind of set the stage with those overarching items that I just shared. I think the context switching concept is important because I think for years there's been this badge of honor that people ascribe to quote unquote multitasking. They even put it in, you know, job descriptions, right? Or you put it on your resume and, you know, you referenced some research. It's been argued that there really is no such thing as multitasking, that you're actually context switching. So the idea of multitasking is you might have 10 tasks on your plate, um, but you shouldn't be trying to do 10 things at one time. So um, I think just the, the concept around what it is to multitask, because you, you, if you think you're being productive by saying mm -hmm. checking emails in the middle of writing a brief, you're not. You're being actually 
unproductive or counterproductive um, because you're actually the brain has to context switch. Can't do two things at once. It's just impossible, at least to do it effectively. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, it's it really is. Uh, it it really is such an important thing. It's it's the thing that uh, context switching. I think is the thing that leaves people um, exhausted, uh, stressed, and unable uh, to to focus on um, anything that is you know of a, a meaningful uh, substantive work. Oftentimes until the very end of the day when other inputs start. So you need to, as we'll talk about, we need to have systems and controls and guardrails in place that allow us to reduce context switching during the day when those inputs are coming in such that you can get work done during normal working hours. Um, okay, so so let's get into you know just a few things. Everyone's gonna have their own systems, but I'll just talk about some things that um, I think are important, maybe work for, for me and, and may work for you as well. So I'll put these into two different categories. One would be, your everyday work. So this would be for a, a lawyer, you know, your the billable work you're doing, the, the firm administrative work you're doing. Um, I'm gonna have a separate category where we're talking about that important, not urgent category. And what we're primarily talking about there is, is like marketing business development. Cause I think that should be its own category um, of, of productivity systems. So for everyday work, um, I think that the first thing to think about is again, where, where, how can you establish a repository, a reliable repository for all of the various tasks and projects on your plate? Um, so, uh, what I think is is best is having actually, um, you know, this is commonly referred to as you know the to do list, right? How, what is your to do list? Where are you putting um, these projects? I, I think you need to have two two lists, right? Many people have just one. And the problem with that is it's, um, it has no hierarchical structure to it. It's just a massive like laundry list of items and it's unwieldy and unmanageable as a result. So the way I like to think about it is um, having a master to-do list um, or macro to-do list. This is where everything goes. And ideally, um, you know, you can do this many different ways. Um, the way I keep mine is by client, typically, and then I have different categories. You know, so I'll have all, you know, all my clients, all my various projects and tasks related to those clients on that master to do list, and then I'll have categories like, um, you know, management or marketing, that sort of internal stuff that I need to take care of as well. And then I take that list, and anytime a new new task comes in. Um, I will immediately take it from an email or a phone call or from whatever, um, and I will put it on that to-do list so that I know that that system exists and I've captured the information. Again, it's out of my head into the system. And then I have a daily to-do list where I am plucking um, strategically the most, uh, the, the, the urgent in the sense that I have upcoming deadlines and important in the sense that I'm trying to make sure I'm allocating my time towards mo what's most important and towards what's gonna make an impact onto my daily to-do list. So from that master to-do list, some small uh, subset of those items are going on my daily to-do list. But the key thing there for me is don't, um, don't leave it to chance. The minute something comes in that is a task, um, get it out of your head, get it on the list. Um, if you need to 
uh, put it on your calendar as well. Um, your calendar shouldn't be your to-do list, right? That's, that's as a way to sort of structure your day and um, set reminders for yourself. But your to-do list should exist somewhere else. Um, it could be, ideally, it would be a digital document where you can update it easily moving forward. And then you have your daily to-do list. That might just be, you know, a piece of paper in your um, in a notebook or, again, a digital document, or it might be something else altogether. The format's less important. Um, Tom, any thoughts on kind of just the 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 to-do lists and how to have the two versus one structure that I'm advocating for here? Yeah, I have the two versus one as well. I have a digital one that's the catch-all kind of uh, everything you just described. And the reason for me that that's digital for me is because it lives in the cloud and I'm never going to lose anything. And if I do what you espouse, as soon as something comes in, I enter it into the system and it's there and I'll never lose it. I do use, uh, as you know, the Michael Hyatt full focus planner as my daily to-do list, which requires that I actually take a pen and write these things down on paper, which we'll get into how you prioritize these things. But that then I look, there's all sorts of psychology that demonstrates the act of writing with your hand and looking at what you've written, the brain process things different. So I want that to be away from the electronic beeps and boops and notifications and intrusions. I want this to be sort of my solace, my analog solace away from a digital distraction world. So. Yes. Yeah. No, that's right. And I, that'll, that transitions us well into the next category. Cause I'm, I'm a analog paper daily, you know, time management and, and productivity structure guy as well. Um, I use the Cal Newport time block planner. Um, and, you know, again, whatever tool you use is less important than actually using it. Um, but so there where I'm, I am writing down my tasks for the day, my daily to-do list, but I'm also time blocking. Um, so time blocking would be another aspect of a productivity system that I, I think is really important and I found extremely valuable. So time blocking, for those who are not familiar with it, basically is your, you know, as Cal Newport, uh, as he describes it, you're giving every minute of your day a job. So you're not just randomly working on the items on your, your task list or your to-do list, you're assigning a particular amount of time to work on that item um, uh, within your calendar. So time blocking always starts with, what do I have on my calendar, you know, in terms of meetings or court hearings or that kind of thing. That goes on your time block, um, in your time blocks first. And then what you're really doing is being strategic with what time is left over. Um, so what what is the amount of time you have left over and what tasks from your master task list are you going to put on your time blocks uh, for that particular day? Um, so you know that then then you basically are are working according to that schedule. That schedule may get disrupted; um, it likely will. Then you can just sort of adjust on the fly. But one of the benefits I found with having um, time blocks is much more efficient and effective with my time. Um, you you can harness. Uh, Parkinson's law as a result of time blocking, the principle that work expands or shrinks to the amount of time allocated for it. So I find that if I've allocated an hour and a half for an article that otherwise might take me two and a half hours to write, uh, just because I maybe am not bringing as much focus to it, if I've got an hour and a half allocated to, to it on my time blocks, um, I oftentimes will get it done in that amount of time. Seems like magic, but that's the way mm -hmm. that Parkinson's law tends to work. And I think we've all probably experienced that. And then it's just, 
you know, it's also a process where it allows me to be much more realistic about what I can get done. Um, oftentimes, if I don't block time, and I think this is true for other people as well, um, you overestimate what you can get done on any particular day. Um, but if you time block and you actually go back and measure, okay, how much did I get done? Oh, I was way over ambitious. And over time, you'll notice patterns. Well, that's that's a reflection, I think an important one that's like, you're, you're taking on too much. You if you don't have a handle on your systems and on your day and how efficiently and effectively you're working, you have a tendency to take on too much and that becomes a big problem. And if you are time blocking, I think you can have a better sense of what realistically you can get done in a, on any particular day. So I think time blocking is a critical part of any system for most people. Yeah, and the Michael Hyatt system um, does a similar thing. It doesn't force you to time block, but it does force you to prioritize. And you have to write down your daily big three, which are the three biggest priorities that those things have to happen. And I remember talking this over with somebody who pushed back a little bit. They said, well, I, I have like 20 things to do tomorrow. I, I can't just do three things. I'm like, but let's prioritize them in the bigger picture. Like what's the most important thing in your world and in your life tomorrow? Is it those 20 things or is it your family? Is it getting home and having time, you know, to rest and enjoy life? I like, so you might have two really big things. Well, you have that big meeting. That's huge. That's on your calendar. It's an immovable object. That's the thing. That's a big three. You might have a deadline on a Monday, right? That a big piece of article has to be done. That's a big three. And then all these other little to do's, my third to do on this given Monday, I asked this person to write down, just write down, survive a Monday, get to the end yeah. of the day, right? Where you've gotten some work done and you're at home, you've got, you know, dinner on the table with the family and you're talking about what's truly important in life. You've survived the Monday. All of those things will still be there tomorrow and they don't matter that much, really. Maybe two or three do. Anyway, the system forces you to prioritize and take all of that unwieldiness that you described and, and get it down to what's truly essential that next day. And I think that helps remove some of that. Oh, my God, I can't get it all done feeling. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And I think that sometimes having 20 items on your to do list is is simply a, a form of procrastination from mm the thing that is most important, right? You could, cause you can feel busy. You, it, you feel the feeling of busyness, the, the pleasure of checking items off a list, but it's all sort of masking the procrastination of actually digging into the thing that really matters. Um, and that's, that's ultimately consequential. So um, that for all those reasons, I think, yeah, prioritization uh, of that variety is, is really important. Um, and the other part of this that I think is really important is kind of book and book ending your day as much as possible with these sort of systematic check-ins with yourself. So um, call these a startup routine at the beginning of the day and a shutdown routine at the end of the day. Um, and I know shutdown is a bit of maybe a misnomer for most um, knowledge workers because there's seemingly no end to the day, work day for most people, at least a hard end anymore. Um, so we, maybe we'll call it a wind down routine instead. Um, I would and, just argue real quick, Jay, that that's why you need this ritual or routine. For sure. Because if you don't, yeah. then the day is just endless. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah. And and I know, I, I'm just, I'm acknowledging the fact that, um, you know, if, if we've got a third year corporate associate at a busy law firm, you know, it's not as much as they'd like to define a end of the day, like that's not the way things work in the real world. So mm -hmm. um, as we'll talk about how to do this as 
as best as possible, um, you know, in, in light of your own particular circumstances. But with starting with a startup routine, basically, um, don't don't arrive to your desk um, and immediately jump into email or, you know, go on social media or anything like that. Um, and spend even it might just be 15 minutes kind of getting these systems into place. So that might in, involve, you know, taking a look at your calendar, um, taking a look at your master task list, developing your top three priorities for the day, maybe mapping out your time blocks as to when you're going to get work on, on on that particular day. Like just don't don't jump right in and start reading and responding to emails because then you'll be in that cycle that that flywheel will have kicked off and it's going to hard it's going to be hard to get out of it and then you're going to spend your day sort of in a reactive mode the startup routine is meant to give you a semblance of control um as best as much as possible over your day and feel like you're you're you know kind of directing the day it's not just someone else that and and many other people who are sending you inputs that are dictating how you're spending your time um, during the day. So I think that startup routine is is critical. That should be how you start your day. Um, certainly your your work day. You may have a totally different routine for um, how you start your actual day uh, from the moment you get up. But when you when you actually officially start the work day, I think having that startup routine in place is important. And then the same goes for how you end or wind down the day. So. Um, there is, I think, you know, one one of the best things that uh, I I continue to uh, try to hang on to because it's been so meaningful is is the shutdown routine, um, which is at the end of you know your your workday, taking again just ten to fifteen minutes and maybe doing one last check of your email, um, scanning what is on your calendar for the next day. Um, getting anything that is uh, a task or a project that hasn't yet made it onto your your you know your large to-do list getting that information in there um, basically just tying up loose ends closing open loops for yourself so that when you do actually close the laptop um, and you you try to um, disengage from work at the end of the day, you can, and and you again, you can sleep better because you don't have all of these things in your head, these open loops that your your mind is is focused on. Because you can be confident that it's in your systems, and when you get back to the office the next morning, as part of your startup routine, that information is there and easily accessible to you. Um, so again, it might be for you a wind down routine where it's like, okay, I'm going to do one last check of email for a few hours until you know the kids go to bed and we finish dinner I, and that's when my actual last check of email is later in the evening everyone's different everyone's you know the the people they work with have different expectations but as best as possible um as routinely as possible having some sort of shutdown ritual i think is important yeah oh you just said the word right at the very end ritual mm -hmm. which i've been reading a lot about the difference between rituals and routines and not to get overly semantic about it but um the concept of a ritual is routine with purpose and intentionality um so the difference between a, a routine is uh, a routine is i wake up i get out of bed i pour myself a cup of coffee and i check emails that's just what you end up doing because that's how you've always done it a ritual might be more like well i get up out of bed I pour a cup of coffee and the first thing I do is I open my planner and I look at my big three for the day, which I've written down the night before during my shutdown ritual. 
um, that allows me to get focused on what's truly important that day. And then I take the big three and then I do my time blocking. And then I close that now that I have my day planned mentally and physically on paper, I close that. And then I have a shower, take breakfast. And I'm, this allows me time to process what's, you know, in my mind, let that stew. What's really important. Then I dig into email. So that's the routine with a purpose. The purpose is to, uh, correct a mindset it's to uh, stave off the inclination to want to just dive into reactive mode um and then the same is true at the end of the day my ritual i always set my big three for the following day the night before so that my mind is clear of this 20 things that are on my plate and it's overwhelming and i no, there's three big things that i need to accomplish tomorrow and, that, and anyone can do that so anyway yeah. i didn't want to like get into this war of pedantry with you. Uh, yeah. But I do think if you think of it as a ritual and not necessarily a routine, it's more something that you do as opposed to something that happens to your calendar. Yeah, no, I like that. Um, I think that word ritual has a little more bite to it. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I, so I, I like that. And, uh, you know, the other, the other reason to have these rituals um, is that uh, they also help to lessen decision fatigue, right? If you don't have mm -hmm. a morning ritual, like, how do you start your day? And you probably are going to default to the thing that is fighting hardest to capture your attention, which is something like social media or your email inbox, right? Where right. it's like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to see what's new and, and what's, I know there's something there waiting for me, whether it be a notification or a new email. Um, and so that, and that's an important principle um, throughout why you want to ritualize as much as possible. Um, these productivity systems is that, you know, we, we want to reserve our decision-making capacity for things that actually matter. And every decision you have to make takes a cognitive toll. And so the more you can ritualize or routinize these types of aspects of your day, the more brain power you're going to have available to you to harness for things that, that really matter. Um, a few additional just sort of tactics that I think have been um, uh, valuable in terms of just allowing me to be more productive and, and feel more squared away. I'll just mention these briefly, but batching tasks. So this is an example of where if you have certain things that are recurring every week, so you know you have to get um, you know X number of like client status reports or project reports done, or um, you are a someone who, you know, gets invoices out on a weekly basis, and, and you know, roughly how long these various tasks are going to take, um, block, you know, block this, the amount of time that those take. Um, and rather than like doing them one off every day, uh, for 15 minutes, you'll block that hour and a half on one particular day, make it a batch and do that, do that, do those tasks in one batch rather than, you know, what will be more just in and out of those tasks every day, um, which again, will increase context switching and, and, and all the negative effects from that. So batching tasks, I think during the week, an example of that for me, which is a, um, I've become a ritual is batching my LinkedIn content. So rather than writing LinkedIn content every day, I try to write all of my posts in one sitting and I'm much more productive as a result of that because I can get into a flow state and write more effectively um, through batching that task. Um, next one would be um, time blocking, but for emails in particular. So rather than, you know, again, everyone kind of has to 
use their own judgment here, depending on the expectations of their clients and the colleagues they work with. But to the extent that you can kind of redefine what it means to be responsive a little bit for yourself as, as something that doesn't isn't synonymous with instantaneous. So I don't think responsive is necessarily needs to be instantaneous. Um, you can you can put time blocks uh, you know on your on your um, daily schedule where maybe every 90 minutes uh, you block time to go in for 30 minutes and process any emails that have come in during that intra period or whatever the whatever the amount of time that can go by um, without you checking email where you're still being responsive to what's coming in um, time block that because again if you're someone who's you know working on a document uh, drafting a document and Every time a notification hits your screen, you're clicking into that to see what it is. It, the, the, the toll from that, from a cognitive uh, and context switching standpoint, is just it's just massive. You're you're gonna have a really hard time being effective at your work. Um, a better approach to me is creating you know four or five 30 minute time blocks every day to just dedicate to email processing. Um, that will allow you to have more time blocks for deep work and focused work throughout the rest of the day. Um, another idea uh, that I find uh, effective is as best as possible, establishing certain days as like, like for example, I have a no meeting Monday. So I never schedule meetings on Monday. I want Monday to be reserved for, you know, getting as much writing typically or strategy work that I have on my plate as possible. That gives me a tremendous uh, sense of momentum going into the rest of the week. I feel like if I can get you know a lot of a lot of um, deep substantive work for clients done on a Monday, like my work, week's off to a good start. On the other hand, if I'm on Zoom all day Monday, like that's that's a recipe for for disaster for my week. So I try I and I've been pretty pretty good about this. Um, never having meetings on on Monday. Um, something new I'm trying in the new year, Tom, is um, trying to reserve Fridays for is like a creative day. So for my newsletter, for our podcast, um, for LinkedIn posts, for you know that kind of stuff, uh, all my own content, I'm going to try to reserve Fridays for that as well. Um, so we'll see how that goes. And then lastly, um, just you know, I I find a 30 minute Sunday evening planning session for the week, really valuable. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I feel like I'm much more productive. I can hit the ground running on Monday if I've taken, you know, sort of replaced my Monday morning startup routine with a more holistic, uh, dialed out view of my week um, done on a, on a Sunday evening. So those are kind of four additional things that, that might you might want to fold into whatever productivity systems you have. Real quick, Michael Hyatt, I keep going back to that, has a great system for a, a Sunday planning session. Um, and I found that I've had to move that up in the day a little bit. Are you familiar with the concept of Mondays, Jay? That's mm -hmm. the feeling yeah. when Sunday starts to start feeling like a Monday. And yeah, it makes you know, sense. The anxiety build, you're like, oh, you go from the nice day of relaxation to, oh, boy. That usually happens to me around 6 o'clock on Sunday evening. So what I've done is I've done my planning session, if I can, sometime in the afternoon of a Sunday, like 2 o'clock. 
because that going back to the whole reason you're getting this stuff out of your head that allows me when Mondays hit, I never get the Mondays anymore because I've already cleared my mind of what tomorrow's big threes are. This planning uh, system that is in the Michael Hyatt planner kind of re- alleviates all that. So I can't advocate for that enough. One quick thing on time block for emails too. Um, I used to be the type of person that would respond to emails immediately because like you said, you wanted to look responsive and, um, but the author of essentialism, Greg McCown, I can't never know how to say his Mc- name. McCune. McCune. Um, he might advocate that there's something to be said for a little bit of scarcity in your attention, right? Um, if you respond to everything right away, it demonstrates that you have nothing better to do than just respond to emails. And you haven't really thought much about your reply. So it's not a very thoughtful response. It's quick. It's not very thoughtful. It's not that valuable. Um, somebody who takes six hours to even a day to get back to me is somebody who I think, all right, this person, A, has had the time to maybe even th- consider my email. But B, is <laughs> kind of, I don't want to say important enough, but uh, is his time and attention or hers is in great demand to the point where, they've actually finally allocated some of their precious time to me. And now I feel like that's a valuable response. So I think just for my own self, I had to get out of that mindset of getting, you know, allowing the notification in my email to be a Pavlovian trigger to me say, Oh yeah, I got to respond to that right away. Um, mm-hmm. Still in process, but I'm a work in process. So at risk of sounding like somebody who's got it all figured out, I'm still resisting that temptation. So. Yeah. Yeah. One, I mean, that's right though, but you, you know, you, you, you can become someone who's known as someone who's extremely efficient at processing email. And all that does is invite more email your way. True. Right. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the efficiency trap, email efficiency trap. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the way I think about it is like, okay, yes. If I've, if I've got time blocks for email um, when I go in, if it's, if it's something, you know, eight out of 10 emails I get, I just can delete, right? Because there's some junk somehow. Um, mm-hmm. But of those that aren't, um, if it if it's going to take me like two to three minutes or less to respond to it, I'll just immediately respond to it. If it's one of those that requires more thought, more, um, more you know, substantive, or it's just a longer response, what I'll do then is I will acknowledge receiving the email mm-hmm. and give the, give the sender uh, who, who, whose email it is uh, that I'm responding to, uh, an expectation is when they can expect a response from me on it. Um, and I think that that puts you know anyone at ease that they, people don't necessarily people don't necessarily want or need an instantaneous response. What they want to know is that it's off their plate, it's on yours, and and you've got it under control. So just sure. acknowledging receipt and and when they can expect a response. And I think that's that generally is good, whether it's our businesses or. Um, for most lawyers, I think that's the key thing is just, um, and then that, and then you put, you take that, that becomes a project that goes in your master to-do sure. list. And then tomorrow, um, cause you know, you noted that you would, uh, tomorrow was the deadline that you get back that goes on your daily to-do list. So it, that's, you know, all part of a system. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And then, um, let's just, uh, let's just, wrap up here with um, just a quick review of what you might think about as this other category or bucket, which is the important, not urgent work. In this case, you know, let's let's talk about it in the context of marketing and business development. So um, I like to think of this differently because it's just it's just a it's it's another part of a private practice lawyer's job, and it's one that's oftentimes overlooked and crowded out by um, bill of hours, right? The work, other people's priorities, client work that needs to get done. Um, but, you know, we've talked about this many times, whether it's the 
pay yourself first concept with your time or um, sell yourself an hour of your time every day from Charlie Munger. Like this idea that if you if if there's something that's important to you and it's important to you for like long-term success in your career, which I think marketing, business development, and building a practice is, at some point you got to get around to doing it. And <laughs> and I ideally, ideally it's on a daily basis because I think that consistency allows your efforts to really compound in your favor. So the way that um, way I like to think about it is really, yeah, just getting really clear on your objectives. Like, what are you trying to accomplish? All of those strategic decisions about who are my clients, where are my clients, like how am I, how am I going to reach those clients, like all of those strategic decisions out of the way so that when you get to your daily productivity system, uh, you're, you know, you're hitting the ground running. It's not like thinking about, oh, what could I do? I have all these options. It's like, no, I've already developed the plan. Now I'm just in execution mode. So um, work on, it, it, you know, pick, allocate an amount of time, put it on your calendar, set it up as a meeting with yourself. So this is where time blocking comes in. So whether you're allocating 30 minutes a day for business development or 60 minutes a day for business development, get it on your calendar. I, I believe that first thing in the morning for most lawyers is, is the best way to go about this because one is you're at your freshest, most creative, um, there's fewer inputs that have already uh, started flowing in. And by doing it first thing, you know, it's it's going to make it less likely that the urgencies of the day are going to crowd out um, that work you're doing. So get it on your calendar, ideally first thing in the morning, somewhere between 30 and 60 minutes of your time, which represents maybe five to 10% of your workday. I think we can all, um, you know, make ourselves a priority for that amount of time a day. Um, and, and set aside billing hours for clients. Uh, then once you're in that, assuming you are kind of clear on your objectives, whatever the action that you're going to take on that particular day, uh, engage in a sprint. So um, this would be the time where you're harnessing um, like the Pomodoro technique, as you, you may have heard, which is that um, the technique where you set a timer for a certain amount of time and you work in an uninterrupted fashion, distraction-free, no context switching, turn off all your notifications, and just, um, as, as Naval Ravikant talks about, like, work like a lion. Um, what does a lion do? You know, they sort of, uh, when, they were, when they're on the hunt, um, much of their time is spent sort of resting and, and recovering. But when, they, when they're on the hunt, they, like, they go, right? They're on a full sprint. Um, and, and I think that's how you want to think about your marketing and business development time. So, um, you know, if you're not familiar with the Pomodoro technique, uh, it's, it's basically a concept where you're, again, like I said, you're setting a, a timer for a, a period of time and the timer helps. So, like, think about it as if like you're doing a workout in the gym and you're getting, mm. you have a timed amount of time to do something, you, you know, the clock helps in that regard. Um, here it's your, again, no context switching, no distractions. You're just dialed in on your work, uh, for that. 30 to 60 minute period of time. And then once you get done, you're going to get a tremendous amount of work done if you're actually working distraction free in that fashion I'm describing. And then I think, you know, kind of have a reset. I like the notion of rewarding yourself if you got that hard work done, like get up, go grab a coffee, um, you know, go have a, a quick conversation with a colleague, whatever, whatever the reward might be for you. Uh, I, I think that's, or maybe it's you're rewarding yourself with that 10 minutes of 
social media that you've been deferring and and you avoided um, during that that you know 30 to 60 minute sprint you just did. So whatever it is, reward yourself because habits habits develop as a result of these triggers. So the rituals that we're talking about, um, the rewards that you're giving yourself, all of these are going to reinforce the good habits and behaviors that we're advocating for here today um, and allow you to move past maybe some of the bad ones that have been ingrained over time. So that's that's kind of just a quick run through what that might look like on a particular morning. Well, to wrap up, Jay, can I just ask you to expand on something I've seen you've been writing about lately? Because I think it's it's been resonating with me, and I think it's an effective way to get the mind and body to commit to something that's uh, important but not urgent. And you said to find, let's say, stick within business development, for example, find a function of business development that you say is fun. Because if it's fun, mm-hmm. you're going to want to do it. Um, I know of a client that has has fun podcasting, so the put their heart and soul into podcasting. It's been effective for me. It's writing for you. It's probably LinkedIn or Twitter. I don't know, but what do you mean by that? Or what might be a great example of finding something that's fun because this isn't urgent work. So it has to be prioritized somehow. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, however you want to put it. um, I think, you know, whether it's something that excites you, um, something that is interesting to you, um, something that yeah is enjoyable or fun to you. I mean, the thing that you know, it's I I, I think it, I think of it like a little bit like exercise is something that um, sometimes it's fun, right? I mean, ideally, the exercise is um, is something you're doing like if you hate, you know, the idea of a treadmill is is horrible to you, but you love playing basketball, like play basketball, you're going to do more of it. Um, but even there, right? It's not you know if you. I've heard someone talk about this today. Like if you play an hour of hard basketball, it's exhilarating. Um, but it's also, you know, if you woke up in the middle of the night feeling like you you do in the middle of a basketball game, your heart racing, you're all sweaty, like you'd you'd call 911. Um, <laughs> so it's this notion that it's not necessarily like it shouldn't feel necessarily like easy and effortless all the time, but you should you should look back on whatever you were doing, I think, with some sense of satisfaction. Um, ideally, yes, that is enjoyable to you, even fun in the moment. Maybe it becomes more fun over time as you get better at it. But yes, you will. we will do more of and do it better uh, the more we are enjoying and, and getting satis- driving satisfaction from what we're doing as opposed to something that feels like drudgery to us. So the obvious example there is, like if you if you're terrified and you hate the idea of like public speaking and then going into a crowd of people you know, after your talk at a conference and and doing and having small talk with a bunch of strangers like why put yourself in that situation um there's many other ways to, to you know build your brand and and gain awareness and build trust um and so you know if you are someone who loves writing like you can, you know, you can, you can sit in the comfort of your own home and write and reach, you know, millions and millions of people. Like I was just looking at my, my LinkedIn um, stats for the year today, Tom, and I think it's, I'm, I'm approaching and I might even just cross like just, just in the nick of time, um, 10 million views this year on LinkedIn. Wow. And I mean, and many people have way more than that, obviously, but like, that's, it's just, it's almost, uh, you know, impossible to comprehend, like me, you know, reaching that scope of people through any other means. Um, and, and, and it's just writing, you know, and it's, and it's just the consistency and compounding of that. So 
and I and yeah, I find it enjoyable. Um, sometimes it's not fun, but it's it's at least enjoyable. It's satisfying, and as a result of that, I do more of it. Great. Well, with that, I think we've reached the end of this particular time block. Yeah, yeah, we. Uh, I think we did. So yeah, hopefully people found this uh, helpful. I, you know, I mean, like I said, it, what's important to remember is this is not trying to describe what we're advocating should be your system, but I think hopefully you can pull out, you know, maybe there's one, two, even three nuggets here that you can use and, and utilize and, and everything matters. It all adds up and, you know, you develop your own system based on what works for you. Yeah. I use a variation of the Hyatt, which you introduced me to. So just to prove your point, you said, this is a great system. You got me my first full focus planner and I, I love it. You moved on to something else because it aligns better with your productivity goals. And I'm not doing the Hyatt thing strictly either. I have my own version of it incorporate some other systems that I learned elsewhere, but yeah, it's not so much that you have to use our system. It's just find a system. Um, it, there's plenty of proven ones out there. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll just wrap up uh, with a, with a quote. I've used this many times before. It's one of my favorites and I just think it always bears repeating, which is James Clear from Atomic Habits. Um, you don't rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. And I am a firm believer that that is true. Like we all have good intentions. It's those that can systemize um, the actions that give rise to the result that actually, um, that actually make a big difference. So in any event, um, I guess we will wish everyone a happy new year because this will sort of be straddling the new year and, and we'll probably be back with another episode in 2023, Tom. Sounds good to me. Okay. All right. Well, everyone have a great rest of the day and we will talk to you soon in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.